uh, just say the opening words and most of us know the kind of story that will follow. Once upon a time, and you know, because many of us, the first stories we heard or learned and some of us read to our children are those children's fairy stories. Part of the enjoyment with those kind of stories is, is that we know how it's going to turn out. We know that Cinderella won't spend the rest of her life in drudgery, working as a slave for her wicked stepmother and ugly stepsisters. We know that little Red Riding Hood won't be eaten by the big bad wolf disguised as her grandmother. And we know that Jack, who climbed the beanstalk, won't be killed by the giant who smelled the blood of an Englishman. Yes, we know not only how the stories begin, but also how they always end. And they all lived happily ever after. So as we read, we know that Cinderella will go to the ball and meet and marry Prince Charming, that the big bad wolf will be unmasked and killed, and that the giant will finally come falling to earth. Yes, and they all lived happily ever after. But what happens when you grow up? When you leave childhood and fairy tales behind? Is there any real prospect that we will indeed all live happily ever after? Doesn't real life and human history shatter any such illusions? That's what I want us to think about this morning. And for an answer, we're going to turn again to the book of Jeremiah. We've called it, interestingly, living in hope. It's a hope for a happily ever after. And we've followed the life of the prophet Jeremiah over 40 years. And now we're almost at the end of the story. We're almost at the end of the book that bears his name. So as we come to the end of this story, imagine you were reading this to your children. Certainly getting to sleep quickly, I think, reading through 51 chapters, 52 chapters. But our question today, as we come to the end of the story, is will it be a case of happily ever after? And so let's turn to the end of the book of Jeremiah. And the final record of what he said. It's not actually the final thing he said, but the, the book is structured in such a way that we get the final prophecies of Jeremiah in chapter 50 and 51, and then chapter 52, that we'll look at God willing next week, in conclusion, backtracks and just gives a bit of history in conclusion. And uh, Colin has the challenge of looking at that and why it's structured in that particular way. Uh, now, we don't have time. If you look at chapter 50 and 51, there are 110 verses, and I don't plan to read them all. Otherwise, that is all the time we'd have. But by way of introduction to this, and I'll refer to the rest later on, let's just read chapter 50. I'm going to read the first 13 verses. So if you have a Bible, it will help to have a Bible in front of you because we're going to be looking at other parts as well. So Jeremiah chapter 50 is page uh, 814. This is the word the Lord spoke through Jeremiah the prophet concerning Babylon and the land of the Babylonians. 
Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Keep nothing back, but say, Babylon will be captured. Bel will be put to shame. Marduk, filled with terror. That's two of the gods of Babylon. Her images will be put to shame. And her idols filled with terror. A nation from the north will attack her and lay waste her land. No one will live in it. Both men and animals will flee away. In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces towards it. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. Whoever found them devoured them. Their enemies said, We are not guilty, for they sinned against the Lord, their true pasture, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Flee out of Babylon, leave the land of the Babylonians, and be like goats that lead the flock. For I will stir up and bring against Babylon an alliance of great nations from the land of the north. They will take up their positions against her, and from the north she will be captured. Their arrows will be like skilled warriors who do not return empty-handed. So Babylonia will be plundered, and all who plunder her will have their fill." Because you rejoice and are glad, you who pillage my inheritance, because you frolic like a heifer threshing corn and neigh like stallions, your mother will be greatly ashamed. She who gave you birth will be disgraced. She will be the least of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, a desert, because the Lord's anger will not be uninhabited, but will be completely desolate. All who pass Babylon will be horrified and scoff because of her wounds. This is the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah. And the next, the remainder of that chapter and the rest continue on a similar theme. It's a kind of snapshot of what it's all about. If you like it, it's like when you see the news, you get the headlines and then you get the detail afterwards, which we'll look at in a moment. Let me summarize what the two chapters are about, alright? In these chapters, there is a focus on the future, in which the Lord declares there will be a dramatic reversal of fortunes in relation to the two nations that have been the focus of all that has gone before in Jeremiah's 40 years, knocking things over here, in Jeremiah's 40 years and in the chapters that have preceded. The two nations, of course, are Babylon and Israel. And what he says is this, Babylon will be destroyed, Israel will be restored. Babylon will be destroyed. Israel will be restored. Now, as I said that, I have to be honest, I didn't notice any of you jump out of your seats in surprise. I didn't even notice any raised eyebrows. But when Jeremiah said this, those who heard it would most likely have laughed out loud at such a ridiculous idea. Babylon was the greatest empire the world had ever seen, with a merciless military force that has swept all before it, from Assyria in the north to Egypt in the south to everything between and beyond. The capital city displayed the wonders of the world with its famous hanging gardens, the magnificent Ishtar Gate, 
walls that were 300 feet high, 75 feet wide. You could drive chariots abreast along the top of the walls of the city of Babylon. And its temples to the gods with their ziggurat stairways, soaring to the skies. And what was Israel in comparison? Following a disastrous civil war, the larger part of the north had been wiped off the map by Assyria 150 years before, leaving a tiny remnant in the south centered on Jerusalem, the nation of Judah. It was simply a small vassal state of the great empire of Babylon. It had been overrun by the Babylonian army a few years before Jeremiah said this. The royal family had been deported along with leading officials, were now in exile in Babylon. The temple and city had been ransacked of their treasures. That was the state of Israel. Yet the Lord says, looking into the future, Babylon will be destroyed, Israel will be restored. It's, I was trying to think of a way of expressing how unlikely and impossible that seemed. It would be like, and please note, this is not a prophecy. All right? It would be like me saying, the Lord says, America will be wiped off the map and an independent Scotland will rule the world. <laughs> now, even Alex Salmon would struggle to say amen to that. Yet this is what the Lord is saying. It's on that scale. So, let's, having seen the headline news, let's look in a little more detail at these two aspects. What I want you to do is look at what, what, what Jeremiah says, what the Lord says through Jeremiah about the destruction of Babylon and then the restoration of Israel. And then, after we've done that, stay with me, because what we want to say at the end is, is it a fairy story? Did it really happen? Has it really happened? Will it really happen? Okay, start with the destruction of Babylon. If you've been in this series, you'll know that for almost all of his ministry, Jeremiah has portrayed Babylon in a favourable light. So much so that his fellow Jews have accused him of being a traitor against his own people. But Jeremiah has persisted over these 40 years with his message saying... Babylon is the instrument of God's judgment against the nations. So, for example, when ambassadors from the, nation, in the nations in the region came to Jerusalem to plan rebellion against the Babylonians, Jeremiah sends them a message to the host, King Zedekiah of Judah. He's, he's organizing this summit to plan rebellion. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, tell this to your masters, with my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give to anyone as I please, now I will hand all your countries over to my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Remarkable, controversial. The Lord says that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is his servant. His instrument of justice against the nations. And those nations include his own nation, God's chosen people, Israel. Represented now by Judah. He says you will experience God's judgment through Nebuchadnezzar, through the Babylonians, because you've sinned against the Lord. And even after that judgment has arrived, and they're deported to the city of Babylon, Jeremiah sends a message to the exiles. And he says to them, you're not to rebel while you're there in Babylon. 
This is what you should do. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Now, this is pretty hard stuff for the people of Judah to take. We're God's chosen people. The Babylonians worship all these ridiculous idols and gods. And you're saying that they're God's chosen instrument? If this were the end of the story, then we might legitimately question God's justice. But the story doesn't end there. As we come to chapters 50 and 51, Jeremiah now declares that Babylon is not just the instrument of God's judgment, but will also be the recipient of God's judgment. If you were here last week, you'll see that we looked at nine nations and the judgment on them. If you count the verses, for example, uh, 121 verses dealt with nine nations. Now we have 110 focusing on one nation. Because Babylon is the biggest player, with the biggest privilege, the biggest responsibility, and therefore the biggest judgment, if she abuses her privilege. Philip Rackham, the American pastor and preacher that we've quoted from quite a few times in this series, comments, The Babylonians were not a law unto themselves. They were not God's friends, only his helpers. Therefore, like every other superpower, they had to answer to God for their own sins. So Jeremiah now says that the role of carrying out God's judgment describes as the, he says, you've been given the cup of God's judgment to pour out on the nations. He says, Babylon, that will now be reversed. The cup will be shattered. Jeremiah 51 verse 7. Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand. She made the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, they have now gone mad. Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken. He says, Babylon, you've hammered the nations. Now you will be hammered. How broken and shattered is the hammer of the whole earth. How desolate is Babylon among the nations. Chapter 50, verse 23. And what Babylon has done to the nations will now be done to her. We read the verses in chapter 50, verses 9 to 10. The Lord says, For I will stir up and bring against Babylon an alliance of great nations from the land of the north. They will take up their positions against her. From the north she'll be captured. Their arrows will be like skilled warriors who do not return empty-handed. So Babylon will be plundered. All who plunder her will have their fill, declares the Lord. The Lord says there's going to be a great reversal. And what are the reasons for this judgment on Babylon. In general terms, they're the same as God's judgment on any nation and any individual. The reasons? She has sinned against the Lord. Chapter 50, verse 14. But the Lord now acts like prosecuting counsel. As it were, Babylon is in the dock. And the Lord says, you've sinned against me, and here are the particular charges. First of all, he says, you didn't execute my judgment with impartiality and restraint, but with gratuitous violence against others. Chapter 50, verse 10. So Babylon will be plundered. All who plunder her will have their fill, declares the Lord, because you will rejoice and are glad, you who pillage my inheritance. They enjoyed doing it. They enjoyed taking vengeance. They laughed and made sport of those that they killed and abused and tortured. And rather than recognizing that the Lord had appointed them to this role, 
they even opposed him and display outright defiance against the Lord. Chapter 50, verse 24. I set a trap for you, O Babylon. You were caught before you knew it. You were found and captured because you opposed the Lord. Chapter 50, verse 29. Repay her for her deeds. Do to her as she has done, for she defied the Holy One, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And at the heart of all this, this national great sin of Babylon and of many nations is that overweening pride, unbridled arrogance about themselves. See, I am against you, O arrogant one, declares the Lord Almighty. For your day has come, the time for you to be punished. The arrogant one will stumble and fall and no one will help her up. And against such, the Lord will show his righteous anger. The punishment will fit the crime. Chapter 51, verse 6. It is time for the Lord's vengeance. He will pay her for what she deserves. And such is the depth and breadth of Babylon's sin that she faces utter destruction. Chapter 50, verse 40. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, a byword for complete annihilation of the face of the earth, along with their neighboring towns, declares the Lord, so no one will live there, no man will dwell in it. The city of Babylon will be destroyed and the land will end up as an uninhabited wasteland. Chapter 50, verse 12. She will be the least of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, a desert. Because of the Lord's anger, she will not be inhabited, but will be completely desolate. It is a reminder that nations, empires, as well as individuals, are subject to God's righteous judgment. And where there is no repentance... There is only incurable illness. Chapter 51, verse 8 and 9. Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken. Wail over her. Get balm for her pain. Perhaps she can be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. Now, this is a terrible warning to nations. It is a warning to governments. It is a warning to great empires. That all are accountable to the Lord. And it is a reminder that ultimately, God brings about his judgment. Now, when you think about that, it's not a popular theme. That God brings about judgment. That God is a God of justice. That he displays his vengeance, his righteous anger. But without that, the world will never make sense. I was thinking about this yesterday. I picked up the newspaper as I went out yesterday after the men's breakfast. I picked up a copy of the Times and... Uh, there's a report in there over the tragic events of Vicki Hamilton, the little girl who left her home at the age of 15. And 17 years later, her body has now been discovered and laid to rest in a home area. Uh, and you may have noticed it reported on the news. What I didn't hear at all was what the minister said. This is what, this is what the Times report says that the minister said. The minister of Reading Parish Church near Falkirk, the Reverend Geoffrey Smart, he said, the judicial process will go on and help give some peace to all who mourn Vicky's tragic and distressing death. However, what happens here on earth, however, whatever happens here on earth, the perpetrator of this terrible crime will also one day have to face the awesome judgment of God Almighty. There is no escape for him from that, and he goes on to say, he showed no sign of penitence whatsoever. Now, would you want it any other way? You'll be found, who knows? Probably the person who did it will be found guilty of this and other murders. 
Is there any real justice in our world? Is there any ultimate accounting at the end of time? If there isn't, then happily ever after is a fairy story. A children's story. Life says otherwise. But we believe with the reverent smart that there is a God of justice to whom nations, empires, individuals are accountable. And without penitence, without healing, without restoration, we face the righteous judgment of God. It's bad news. Walter Brueggemann's commentary on Babylon says, In the end, however, Babylon faces a demise with no Easter, a sinking with no rising. That's the bad news. But here's the good news for God's people. In contrast with the destruction of Babylon, Jeremiah also announces in these final two chapters, we find the restoration of Israel. Now again, think about what the message has been, if you've been in the series, what God has been saying to his people for the previous 40 years. He says, the people of Israel have sinned against the Lord. You've forsaken me and worshipped man-made idols. Here's the Lord's accusation against them, right at the beginning of the book, in chapter 2, verse 13. The Lord says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Yet nothing changes for 40 years, Jeremiah. I just, the more I've done this series, the greater my admiration for Jeremiah. I'd have given up after five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five. They didn't give him a gold watch at 40 years, friends. And yet he persisted in preaching his message. And here he is at the end saying, you face the judgment of the Lord because you've sinned against him. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, I'll bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against the surrounding nations. And sadly, this is what has happened. As Jeremiah brings this final prophecy, that's the situation. Nebuchadnezzar has already marched in. Sacked the temple, the city, carried people off into exile. He's not yet destroyed the city. That's just a few years down the road and Jeremiah knows it's going to happen. But he knows it's not the end of the story for Israel. For she remains the Lord's people and his promises to them still stand. So here's the great reversal for Israel. As Jeremiah prophesies that Babylon will be destroyed, he promises that Israel will return to her land and to her Lord. It's beautiful verses we read in chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. In those days at that time declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces towards it. Rackin comments, the return from Israel was well lubricated with tears. The Jews who went back to Jerusalem were keenly aware of their sin. You see, true repentance for them begins, and for us, with a change of mind about our sin. You see, you can listen to all the series that we've preached through Jeremiah, all about God's judgment, and still be unmoved by it. Unless it Unless it leads to a change of mind about our sin and our culpability before God, it will have no effect like it did on them. But where there is a change of mind about sin, then there is a change of direction towards God. 
And as we head home like the prodigal in the parable that Jesus told, we discover that our relationship with the Lord still stands. For as the people return, they discover that the covenant, the agreement God made with them, still stands in place, an eternal covenant. Jeremiah 50, verse 5. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. And they will discover as they do so that they have someone to lead and feed and guide them. They have a good shepherd. Jeremiah says, those previous shepherds, the priests and kings, they just led you astray. They abandoned you to your enemies. Verse 6 of chapter 50, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. But the lost sheep will be found. The straying sheep will be forgiven by the Lord their shepherd. Look again at those beautiful words in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 50. But I will bring Israel back to his own pasture. He will graze on Carmel and Bashan. His appetite will be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and Gilead. In those days at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for Israel's guilt, but there will be none. And for the sins of Judah, but none will be found, for I will forgive the remnant that I spare. Now this will be no easy task to forgive their sin, to wipe out their guilt. But the Lord is not only a faithful shepherd, he is also a strong redeemer. Chapter 50, verse 33. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people of Israel are oppressed. The people of Judah as well. All their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. Yet, their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. He will vigorously defend their cause, so that he may bring to rest, bring rest to their land, but unrest to those who live in Babylon. He says there's going to be a second exodus. This time, not from Egypt, but from Babylon. As the Lord rescues his people, delivers them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and brings them back home. This is the promise to the people of Israel. So, let's summarize where we've got to as we come towards looking at whether it actually happened. The Lord's message about the future. Babylon will be destroyed. Israel will be restored. And if you turn over to chapter 51... You read what actually happened then. This message that Jeremiah gives is then sent to the exiles in Babylon. Let's just read the final verses of chapter 51. 50, verse 59. It's page 819. So this is the message, what's gone before in chapter 50 and 51. It's all written on a scroll by Jeremiah's secretary, Baruch. And it's given to his brother, who's a diplomat. He's about to make a trip with King Zedekiah to Babylon, probably because the Babylonians are worried about Zedekiah, what he's doing, and they're going to get him to come and swear his allegiance to them again. This is the message Jeremiah gave to the staff officers, Sariah, son of Neriah, he's the brother of Baruch, the son of Marcia, when he went to Babylon with Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year of his reign. Jeremiah had written on a scroll about all the disasters that would come upon Babylon, that had been recorded concerning Babylon. This is what he said to Sariah. When you get to Babylon, see that you read all these words aloud, then say, O Lord, you have said you will destroy this place so that neither man nor animal will live in it. It will be desolate forever. That's Babylon the city. When you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates River, then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring upon her and her people 
will fall. He encloses it in the diplomatic pouch. That's Sariah. He gets to Babylon. He calls the exiles together and says, I've got a word from the Lord, from that prophet Jeremiah, you know, the one who's been bugging him for all these past years. Here's his final word about the future. Babylon is going to sink without a trace. And when he's finished his sermon, he wraps up the scroll, ties it to a big stone, and he throws it symbolically into the river and says, that's what's going to happen to Babylon. It will sink and it will never rise again. Now, I'd love to have been there. You often watch reactions in sermons and messages people give them. Every preacher does that. I'd love to know what the exiles said when, when, when he read this out. Did they all cheer? Did they cheer? Or did they laugh? Yet, this is the end of the story about the future. Look what it says in the end of chapter 51. The words of Jeremiah end here. The Lord's final words on the future through Jeremiah. It's the Lord's promise, as it were. He's saying to his people, that's going to be a happy ending. To the story for you, my people. But the question is, was it just a fairy story? To answer the question in our title, did they all live happily ever after? Well, if you read on in chapter 52, it's very interesting. Chapter 52 describes what happened just seven, eight years later. Look at it, God willing, next week. A disastrous and tragic end. The Babylonians come back because Zedekiah stupid king decides to rebel against the Babylonians and they march straight in and this time they show no mercy at all. They raise the walls to the ground, totally destroy the temple. People have died in their thousands through a disastrous siege over months. The the survivors are either killed or deported, leaving a rabble in charge in a puppet government and it looks like the end for the nation of Judah and Israel. What now? The promised happy ending. What about the prophecy that Jeremiah gave? Babylon will be destroyed. Israel will be restored. Well, to find an answer, you need to look at the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. And as with so much prophecy, there is a short-term fulfillment and a long-range fulfillment. You need to look at it with you know, your binoculars focused on the short-term and then the telescope looking right into the distance. Look at the short-term fulfillment, and this is just history. For decades after this, the empire of Babylon continued to flourish. But pride turned to complacency. The pursuit of riches and pleasure began to rot the heart of the kingdom and other nations began to stir on the borders as Jeremiah prophesied. And as he had foretold, the unthinkable happened. In 539 BC, Babylon fell to the Persians led by Cyrus and a new empire replaced the empire of Babylon. We don't have time to look at the history. You can look it up for yourself. Coalition of armies entered the city and deposed the Babylonians. And in the decades that follow, followed, this great city of Babylon, one of the wonders of the world, fell into disuse until it ended up half buried in the sands of the desert. What about the prophecy about the restoration of Israel? Something remarkable, totally unthinkable happened. When a new government comes into power, they set out their agenda. In the first year of Cyrus, he suddenly had a brainwave. Well, he probably thought it was. But the unthinkable happened. The return of the people of Israel in 538 BC, from 538 BC. Here's what it says. This is the record of 2 Chronicles 36. 
In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, that 70 years before, 60, 70 years, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, said. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. I bet nobody thought that was going to be at the top of his, you know, five-year plan. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord God, his God be with him and let him go up. He made this amazing announcement to the people of Israel, their descendants in exile, and he said, you can go back home and build your temple again. Who would have dreamt that such a thing would have happened? So the first group of exiles follow. You can read the story in books of the Bible in Ezra and Nehemiah. Some of the later prophets, minor prophets. And they followed. And in the generations that followed, the decades that followed, the walls were built. A temple was built. The nation was restored. As Jeremiah had prophesied. See, the proof of God's word is when it comes to pass. Anyone can prophesy anything. But it's when it actually happens. But what I want to say as I conclude now is this was not the full fulfillment. If you read what he says in chapters 15 and 51 about the nature of the destruction of Babylon and the scope of the restoration of Israel, it was partly fulfilled, but it wasn't fully fulfilled. The long-term fulfillment came later. Look again at the two things Jeremiah prophesied. The restoration of Israel. The fulfillment of all God's promises to his people came with the coming of the promised Messiah, Jesus. We're going to celebrate. We're into Advent already. Notice how all the themes that Jeremiah focused on are fulfilled in Jesus. We can only just touch on them. If you know the Bible, you need to go away and have a look at them more carefully and, and, and rejoice in them. Jesus is the good shepherd. He comes to seek and save his lost people. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Through his death, as he lays down his life, he is the strong redeemer who pays the price for sin, who turns away the the righteous anger of God. So writing to his fellow Christians, the Apostle Peter reminds them, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so he establishes that eternal covenant that Jeremiah prophesied and looked forward to. As on the night when he was betrayed, he took wine symbolized the covenant sealed with his blood. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We celebrate it this evening around the Lord's table. We'll be thinking about this eternal covenant. It's all prophesied by Jeremiah. Hundreds of years before. And that new covenant is now no longer restricted to Jews, but is open to Gentiles who are grafted into God's people. The Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans 9-11 to and his conclusion is, in the end, all Israel will be saved. God's people will be brought back. His ancient people of Israel will return to him in the end in great numbers and the Gentiles together will be grafted in and God will fulfill his final plan. It will be a happy ending. But not for all. For the long-term fulfillment is also there of the fall of Babylon. Although the ancient city of Babylon lies in ruins, Babylon has a much wider meaning. Reichen writes, Jeremiah 51 is not simply a history lesson from the past. It is also a warning for the present. Babylon is not just a historic city. It stands for everything hateful and odious to God. 
Babylon is every culture that is proud, arrogant, wasteful, violent and destructive. It represents every city that sets itself against the kingdom of God. So as you come through the Bible, you come to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And you discover that there are two chapters focused on the same theme as Jeremiah. Don't have time to look at them in any detail. But the theme is, Jeremiah 17, uh, Revelation 17 and 18, is the final fulfillment of the fall of Babylon. Represented by all that opposes God. After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority. And the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It is the final fulfillment that God's kingdom will triumph. And that all that oppose God will be judged by him in the end. So if this is the case, as we finally conclude, what should we do? We need to respond to God's warning. What did God say to the people of Israel through Jeremiah? Flee from Babylon, run for your lives, do not be destroyed because of her sins. It is time for the Lord's vengeance, he will pay her what she deserves. Jeremiah 51.6, Jeremiah 51.45 Come out of her, my peoples, run for your lives, run from the fierce anger of the Lord. And when you come to Revelation, the end of time, the same warning is repeated. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. The appeal of God's word is to escape God's judgment by coming out of all that is evil and running to Christ and being saved from God's righteous judgment. Only then can you be sure of living happily ever after. So let me read, finally, the last chapter. No doubt we'll look at it again next Sunday. What is described after the fall of Babylon? Revelation 21, this is the happily ever after. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. And be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And they all lived happily ever after. May we rejoice in that. And if we cannot rejoice in it, come out and run to Christ. Let us pray.